This is True Compassion, a Christian podcast examining homelessness and its community and how the Christian church can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Eric Leidick, and this is True Compassion. We're so encouraged to have you with us today. Today we have a woman joining us who has quite the story to tell. Her name is Janira. And before I get into Janira's story, I want to just remind you of a few things. First, I want you to know that the people that we're interviewing want you to hear their story. They want you to share it out. They want other people to learn from it. They want you to understand what it feels like to live in these situations and feel alone and without hope and without support. The other thing we want you to know is that these folks are in various states of their walk with Christ. Some don't know him, some are coming to know him, some are confused about who he is but believe there's a God, and some have accepted him as their Lord and Savior and and are working on their walk with the Lord. Okay, let's get into it with Janera. Can't wait for you to hear her testimony. It's pretty powerful. Here's Janera. Hi. Hi. It's good to see you. Likewise. Thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. So let's let's start off in the beginning. So tell me when you were at your lowest point. In 2015, um, my mom had passed away. I was already drinking at that time, but uh, when my mom had passed away, I began drinking. I began taking pills. I um, just started spiral going in a downward spiral and. By 2017, I was in like a severely like bad domestic violence situation. Okay, let's step back. What is domestic violence? I think we all feel like we understand what domestic violence is, but just to be clear, here's a definition. Domestic violence is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery sexual assault, and or other abusive behavior as part of a systematic pattern of power and control perpetrated by one intimate partner against another. It can include physical violence, sexual violence, threats, emotional abuse, and the frequency and severity of domestic violence can vary dramatically. It can happen over a short period of time or over a lifetime. Now, did you know one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner? On a typical day, A local domestic violence hotline receives approximately 19,000 calls. That's approximately 13 calls every minute. In 2018, domestic violence accounted for 20% of all violent crime. In a 2019 report released by the New Jersey State Police, there were 59,645 domestic violence offenses reported. 43% of these were listed as assaults. 41% were listed as harassment. In 2019, over 21,000 arrests resulted from those reports, and children were involved in 25% of those exact same reports in 2019. Now, in 2021, among domestic violence programs that receive funding through the Department of Children and Families, there was a 37% increase in hotline calls compared to 2020, according to the New Jersey Coalition to End Domestic Violence and there was a 53% jump in the number of sheltered victims. Now, what does God think about domestic violence? Domestic violence is in stark opposition to God's plans for family. Genesis 1 and 2 depict marriage as one flesh 
a helping relationship. Ephesians 5.21 talks about mutual submission. Ephesians 5.22 through 24 explains a wife's submissiveness to her husband, while verses 25 through 33 talk about a husband's self-sacrificing love for his wife. 1 Peter 3, 1-7 gives similar instructions. 1 Corinthians 7, 4 says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. The two belong to one another, and are called to love one another as Christ loved us. Marriage is an image of Christ and the church. Domestic violence is a far cry from the character of Jesus. Domestic violence involving children is also condemned by God. Psalms 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. God entrusts parents with children, and those parents are to lovingly care for them and to train them up. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Children are to obey their parents. And discipline is important, but discipline is distinctly different from violence and abuse. Domestic violence hurts the heart of God. He is not unmoved by its victims, nor has he abandoned them. His plan for human relationships, particularly those among family, is a beautiful depiction of who he is. Family is meant to reflect God's love. It saddens him when home turns into a place of pain. God's desire for those involved with domestic violence both victims and abuser is healing. Okay, let's jump back in. Where I was, you know, I was toting black eyes, you know, like a casual outfit, basically. Like at my lowest, I I got to the point where, um, especially when it was when it came to my addiction, like I would I would basically do anything to get to my drink. I would do anything because my my primary drug of choice was alcohol and then secondary would be pill. But like um, I would do anything for a taste of alcohol. So at my lowest, I, you know, I went through homelessness. Mm -hmm. How long were you homeless? <clears throat> I was homeless for about uh, maybe like a year no it had to be about two so around 2018 i had lost my apartment mm -hmm. and when i lost my apartment i was staying with um, my ex myself and my two children i tried to better my situation get away and get myself and my kids into um, the domestic violence shelter. it didn't last long i was they removed my children from my care and custody dcpmp when i said they um i referring to they removed my children from my care and custody and i went back to my ex because i had nowhere to live I was homeless for about a good like year and a lot of people think homeless is like sleeping at a station. No, homeless is when you don't have a home of your own place to call. When you're jumping from pillar to post, mm -hmm. trying to warm a safe place, that's homeless. Yeah, they, that's referred to as homeless, right? It's, uh, it's often referred to as couch hopping. Right. What was it that pushed you into the addiction what was, what was going on that pushed you so okay so like basically when i was drinking and uh before 
my mom's passing, it was just casual. Once my mom had passed away, um, the guy that I was dating, he was cheating on me. He was lying. Um, he was physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive. And it was just like more so, like the more I would try to, excuse me, deal with everything that I was going through with him, the more I drank. So I was trying to cover up and mask things like everyday life with alcohol. So like the alcohol, like it, to me, it made me feel like, um, with like without the alcohol, I felt like I was um, just your regular Joe Blow. <clears throat> but then when I drank, now I'm Beyonce and I'm, I'm Diana Ross and I, you know, I became a whole new person and it changed my personality. Um, so. Okay, let's step back. People drink alcohol for various reasons. Some are for cultural reasons. Others drink to manage anxiety, depression, financial distress, grief, relationship challenges, social anxiety, shyness, trauma, work stress, the list goes on. Now, some people may feel that alcohol temporarily numbs emotional pain, but alcohol cannot heal it. Alcohol slows the central nervous system, which may help you feel relaxed for the moment. Alcohol floods the brain with dopamine, creating feelings of euphoria. It also inhibits judgment and memory. Together, these effects can temporarily relieve feelings like sadness and stress, but there's an emphasis on the word temporarily. You may experience momentary relief from emotional pain when you drink out for a few minutes or hours. The burden of your grief could feel a bit lighter, but when alcohol wears off, the negative emotions come rushing back. You may even feel worse than you did before. The Bible doesn't shy away from how God feels about drinking. There are many verses that cover this issue. Here are four. Ephesians 5:18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Proverbs 20:1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray is not wise. 1 Peter 5:8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Galatians 5.21 Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Clearly, drinking isn't a good solution to any life issue. Of course, the Lord wants us to enjoy life, but running from problems that should be offered up to the Lord for help is clearly a serious mistake and shows a lack of judgment. God can heal. Drinking provides no such ability, and many can testify to its negative impact in their lives. For the Christian, while it might be permitted, it is a sin to cross over into that drunken state, which can happen so easily. It's just not worth it. There is peace in a good relationship with God, and a gift in being sober-minded and trusting the Lord for help and healing with life's issues. Drinking to drunkenness has never added to someone's life journey, and avoiding problems with alcohol is never a good plan. All right, let's jump back in. I, I would call it like my blinder because I was when I once I would drink, I was blind to everything else. It, it put a mask on all of the pain and all of the um, just the everything that I was going through. Just like the pain and the suffering because I, you know, 
I wasn't I wasn't drinking to have fun because I would I would uh, at times violently act out. There's you know times where I've done a lot of things under the influence that I would never do uh, in a sober mindset and. <clears throat> I don't live in regret. I prayed on it and I asked God to forgive me and I just moved forward and yeah. I left it there. Yeah, good. When did you hit the point where you were like, what am I doing? So, um, I met my I met my husband. I was still drinking. And um he it started off he seen a picture of me before I he was like, I see the good in you, like you're a good person. Like, I don't know. The major eye opener for me was um, the fact that one day I was talking to my children. And at the time, my girlfriend had custody of my children because of my drinking. Um, and I was talking to my kids and I, I seen this sadness in their eyes. And it hurt me. It really, it hurt me mm. um, to see that. And I, I just couldn't live anymore. I'm like, and I, in so many ways, I told myself I would be better off dead and do my, I would do better for my children if I was dead, but I had to relive. No, it would do more damage. I have to fight to live. Right. And then I had gotten pregnant with my now one-year-old son, AJ. And um, for the first like two weeks of the pregnancy, I was like, oh, I was trying to convince myself that I can still drink mm -hmm. during this pregnancy and but it, that was not God's will God said I'm gonna let you take this sip of alcohol and I'm gonna allow you to throw up to the point where you will not be able to stop and it's going to push you away from this alcohol that taste mm -hmm. that smell that urge it's going to be gone and sure enough i went to I, I never forget it i went i left work um and <clears throat> i went to the liquor store because i had just got my direct deposit and i went to buy um shots of liquor mm -hmm. and a few bottles of uh small personal bottles of wine and i mean i opened the wine and just the smell of the wine made me gag but then when i physically took the drink I could not stop throwing up I said you know what I don't even want this anymore and that was it and I felt like this is an angel God has given to me he deserves the chance to live why and it's no addiction in this world <clears throat> more important than a gift from God mm. so yeah that's cool we we call that God's one-step program when you invite him in and he just takes care of it right, right. we're gonna change this right now but praise the Lord he worked it Okay, let's step back. One of my favorite accounts of Jesus in the Bible is in John 5, the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. Here Jesus visits a place where you would not find those following him or those depending on God. The name of the pool is Bethesda. In Aramaic, it means house of mercy. John tells us that a great number of disabled people used to lay there, blind, lame, and paralyzed. That's John 5.3. Strange to us as believers that they're not in the temple or sitting in prayer, but waiting for what seems to be a superstitious event to occur. Not unlike what we see on the street so often. Folks stuck in pain, stuck in addiction, stuck in homelessness, looking in the wrong places for healing, 
and to ease their pain. In comes Jesus. Mercifully, he asks the man in the John 5 account, do you want to be healed? And the man's reply is telling. Here's John 5, verses 6 and 7. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time, and he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Now Jesus didn't sign him up for detox, he didn't send him to the hospital, he doesn't send him to AA or NA meetings. Jesus just says, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Now you know the rest of the story, and if you don't, maybe turn to John 5 now and read it. This is Jesus's one-step program. Follow me. Have faith that I can heal, I can save you, and it will be so. Jesus works in our lives in ways we don't often understand. The how and when, we assume, seems to be the most logical, is not always the same as his way and his timing. Jesus heals, Jesus saves, and surrender is the key. It's a one-step program, and we've seen it happen and it's amazing. Jesus offers life, and once saved, the rebuilding starts. He's so faithful and just. One step is all it takes. Okay, let's jump back in. So while you were drinking, you've known the Lord for a while. All my life. Yeah, um, and clearly you weren't dedicated to the Lord when drinking. Right. Yeah, and so, so God moves in your life and he makes that, what does that mean for you? In, in regards to God's love for you personally, what does that mean? To be honest with you, like, um, my mom has always raised me to never question God. Mm. And I had got to a point in my life, I had questioned God. And I asked him, why? Why? Why are you doing this thing? And I had to ask the question, but then I had to step back. And I had to visualize and view everything that was going on. And I had to realize that, the like that old saying, every action has a reaction. And my action and, you know, they were the main contributor to my problems. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> People, places, and things. Okay, let's step back. People, places, and things. This is a methodology that's taught in most addiction programs. The people, places, and things you experience every day play a vital role in encouraging or discouraging substance use, no matter the stage of addiction or recovery. If folks want to remain substance-free, they must make some changes to the people, places, and things in which they normally engage. This makes sense. Sadly, some people believe this is the key to staying clean, but the issue is never really the people, places, and things, but the heart in us. People, places, and things. This is something the Bible teaches as well. A simple truth seen in 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. People, places, and things. This is not a solution to addiction, but is a worldly defense against temptation and a reasonable strategy. But if my heart is wrong and I remove the people, places, and things that tempt me, and I move to another place and find new people, places, and things, I will still be present. My heart will still be there. And thus, my heart will pull me into the same issues, the same circumstances, in the same ways. And even though I'm in a new place, it will seem very familiar. The real defense against temptation, people, places, and things, is running to God 
and allowing him to deal with the things that are wrong inside of us. Surrender the heart to Jesus and real healing and heart change will occur. And you'll be surprised when Jesus grabs your heart. All right, let's jump back in. It's something that I had to learn. And um, it was the people that I surrounded myself with. It was the places that I choose to be. And it was the things that I engaged and did. So when I came to um, realize that God was really all that I needed, I've, I had to do a, like, I literally had to stress myself down to the nothing and break down and cry and ask God, please. Because I, I knew that I often tell people, he never leaves you. He never, it, and, and, and it's the truth. Us as humans, we often turn our backs to him. He never turns his back to us. Amen. Amen. As a mother, what did it feel like to have DCPMP, Child Protective Services, say, we're going to take your children? Um, it's, it's the worst feeling in the world to uh, to be a, a mother that was raised in the system. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I grew out of the system and I've always made a vow that I would protect my children but um i allowed my addiction to become my weakness and i allowed things to occur that i would never have done let occur when i was sober um it's heartbreaking when dcpmp stepped in and they took my children um it hurt and then it, it hurts so much more when um it it, it felt like like it, it felt as if like someone, like I had like a person inside of my throat and they were on the inside of the throat and like they were just like blocking off my esophagus. Like I was, I, I could, it's just no, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was up. I kept thinking about my children. Are they being hurt? Um, are they being touched? Because when I was in the system, um, I was being touched. I was molested. And um, now I'm putting my children at risk of becoming touched, you know, you know, unwanted touching and molestation. Worse, it could have been my children could have left and I would never see them again. But my determination to get my children back it just wouldn't let me give up on them. Mm -hmm. And you leaned on God during that? Throughout the whole time. Yeah. Okay. Because I I had to break down from the tough guy, like, persona. And I had to go to God and tell him, God, I need you. Like, I need you. Because, um, honestly, when I was at my worst, I, um, I contemplated suicide so many times. Um, and I couldn't, I didn't want to live. Like I, I felt so empty inside because these children that I carried for 10 months, they were snatched away from me in less than 10 minutes. Yeah, that's really hard. Thank you for sharing that too. It's really, I think it's really important. 2017, I reached out, I asked you guys for rental assistance and um, it was you. 
Mm. You said we don't assist with rent, but I can invite you to church. You asked me for my address, you know. You gave me a time that you would come and pick me up for church, me and the kids. And you came to my house, picked me up. It was God. I'm not going to say I think I know that it was God that uh, made you uh, pick that phone up and invite me to church as Sunday. And it was... I, if I'm not mistaken, it was right before the Thanksgiving holiday. And um, it was because of you and like like your undying love and your, like, I mean, just, it, it was you that put it, baby, put it in me like, you can do this. You know that God loves you. And I, I think even though I was still battling my addiction, God wasn't, he, God was giving you that power to instill the strength that I needed in me. And I, I I remember it like it was like yesterday. You picked us up, me and my two babies, um, and we went to the church. We had service and we um we ate and then after we ate, you um you had said to me, you was like, um, here's a gift from the church and I'm like Thank you. And at that point, because I felt so, um, so like alone and lost, it was like that point I felt like, you know what, God still has a covering. I'm still covered in the blood of Jesus and I'm going to give this another chance. And although it was, it, it didn't happen overnight with the help of you and my, um, my therapist, who's also a Christian, it brought me to where I am today. I'm I'm now three years clean and sober, and I thank God because you know I if if I was to look back, Pastor Eric, sometime, and I would say like, and how would I see myself? I honestly, and I tell my children this: if it were not for you and Mrs. Barbara, just constantly riding my back telling me how much and how much God loved me and how important I am to God. And had it not been for you guys, I probably would be in a casket right now. Well, thank the Lord that you're not. Amen. I fought tooth and nail mm. for my children. And yeah. even when um, the one caseworker that I had, she um, she told me that I was going to custody of my children. She told me that she was going to come and remove my unborn son. And, I, you know, she was just doing everything in her power to hurt me. And I didn't know why. I was trying to do everything to do right. And I felt like no matter what, I wasn't good enough. But I had to remember... I am good enough. Yeah. And you're 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 so good in God's eyes that sent his son to shed his blood. So stand with him. Absolutely. On a regular basis because the world is very rough. hard. I see people because I work with the homeless. Um, I often see people past the area and you never know what a person is battling. You never know what they're going through at that very so I have a very, very uh I'm gonna say good head of praying with people. Mm. I don't have to know them. Mm -hmm. They could be absolute, complete strangers. Um, I, you know, I'll walk up to them and I'll hug them and I'll give them one of the tightest hugs just to show them. Because sometimes you 
it could be a front on the outside with a smile, but the inside there's a, a cry for help. Yeah. Let's talk about some good stuff. Okay. Um, what's your outlook now? What does life look like for you now? Well, now um, I'm no longer a mother of two, a mother of four. Yeah. Um, I have my my big babies, <laughs> and then I have my two munchkins. Mm -hmm. I'm married happily, and I'm in the process of trying to buy a house. Great. Um, and like I said, I, I give all glory to God because um, he gives me the strength to rise every and he instills in me the power of change and what i mean by that is um, like I, I i changed the people the places and the things mm -hmm. that i once surrounded myself by mm -hmm. i often tell people um like at, for example yesterday was my first day back to work at the mission and everybody was like oh you back to work oh we missed you and that that showed me that I have a, a great impact yeah. on so many other people. Such a gift. All right, let's step back. Jesus loved radically. Amen? Maybe you disagree. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. In fact, we're to love all people. Try doing that for a week and tell me if Jesus' love wasn't radical. Jesus died for people that he had never met but loved enough to sacrifice himself for. He loved enough to challenge the wrongs in the world and not fight back with violence, but with love. He never gave up. He never held back. He fed those that were hungry, prayed for those that spit on him, and he did this all knowing that it would end in his death because he loved us. That's radical love. God's radical love extends to all people, even those who are ungrateful and evil. As his children, our love should reflect his love. He shows us that we must love all people, not just those who are nice to us. Now listen up, it is not enough to love passively and endure wrongs, just to stay silent and smile when you're being wronged. We must actively engage in loving others. Love is an action word. That means doing things to show them that we actually love them. Even if they've treated us wrongfully, our love must be self-denying not self-seeking. We must set aside what we think to be our personal rights if we want to follow our Lord in practicing this type of radical love. We must love in ways that are bold. Love the sinner, the unbeliever, the murderer, and love them and show them that there is another way, that they too can be saved by our Savior, Jesus Christ. A radical Christian is one who has died to his flesh. That's Romans 8.13 and sees the only risk in loving others is not loving as the Lord commands us to love. Did you hear that? The only risk that someone sees when they want to love like Christ is not loving like Christ. This is radical love. This is Jesus. All right, let's jump back in. Tell me about the homelessness situation in Trenton. You know, many people look at Trenton and they say, oh, that place is it's horrible. You know, I drive through the city and I, I see more people who are caught in addiction than who are not caught in addiction. It's pretty, it's pretty common to drive through Trenton late in the day and pretty much everyone you see is either addicted, addicted and homeless. I, I could speak on it firsthand. To see so many young men and women on the street is very sad. The, and 
like you said, it's like everyone that's homeless, they do have substance abuse problems alongside. And I think a lot of them turn to drug use to try to cover up what they're going as far as the homeless or they're battling something from their past that they don't know how to cope. Um, like I explained to my daughter, um, I, I um, told her about the severity of homelessness, mm -hmm. how, you know, females are raped. Um, men, they're at random just picked by some person that's not happy in their life and shot dead like it's nothing. And Okay, let's step back. Now, the crime rate in Trenton is considerably higher than the national average across all communities in America, from the largest to the smallest. The chance of becoming a victim of either violent or property crime in Trenton is 1 in 33. This is based on FBI crime data. In New Jersey, Trenton has a crime rate that is higher than 92% of the state's cities and towns of all sizes. In fact, after researching dangerous places to live, Trenton is number 57 in a top 100 most dangerous cities in the USA. Out of 19,000, 495 incorporated cities, towns, or villages in the United States. For Trenton, we found that the violent crime rate is one of the highest in the nation across communities of all sizes, both large and small. Violent offenses tracked include rape, murder, manslaughter, armed robbery, aggravated assault, including assault with a deadly weapon. According to the FBI reported crime data, your chance of becoming a victim of one of these crimes in Trenton is 1 in 93. Significantly, based on the number of murders reported by the FBI and the number of residents living in the city, Trenton experiences one of the higher murder rates in the nation when compared to cities and towns for all sizes and population. With property crimes like motor vehicle theft, arson, larceny, burglary, your chance of becoming a victim of any of these crimes in Trenton is 1 in 52. Now this is reported crime. The unreported crime in Trenton is beyond belief. Things like aggravated assault, sexual assaults, rape, assault with a deadly weapon, theft, burglary, etc. are widely unreported in the homeless, addicted, and street community. This data would clearly raise the crime statistics in Trenton, and no government official would like that. And frankly, it's easy to ignore as the street population does not trust the police or any government organization in any way. Currently, there are accounts of a serial rapist in the city that's focusing on the city's female homeless and street populations. Our ministry regularly hears accounts of rape, assault, and so much more that are unreported to the police. Because without a house, there's no place to be safe from the person that committed the act. Even if they're arrested because of bail reform, they'd be out on the street awaiting trial in a matter of days. It's a sad fact for those living on the street. All right, let's jump back in. One thing that I have a very big problem with, and they only have one homeless shelter to help Mercer County, not just Trent, where they only allow 50 beds for the men, 20 beds for the men. Okay, let's step back. In the United States, the main social assistance and personal social services programs are county and state administered with substantial federal government support. Many programs are delegated to local governments and voluntary organizations are heavily subsidized by public bodies via contracts for provision of services. 
The Department of Health and Human Services is the chief federal agency, and each state has a counterpart of this agency. In addition, now what does this mean? This means to receive help from any social services organization, you must prove that you live in the county that you are seeking help from to be qualified for help. This, as you can imagine, can be quite difficult for the homeless. It can be pretty complicated to prove that you live in Mercer County if you don't have an address. I'm sure you can see the predicament. Now let's jump back in. You're working in the rescue mission, and that's awesome, yeah. right? And uh, God's using your skill set to, to bless other people. I know that you love the people there, and I, we also know there's difficult people there. There's theft there. There's violence there. Tremendous amount of drugs there. The rescue mission does um, have policies against all of these things. And, um, you know, tell me, just tell me this. What's the mood? Okay, so you have you have some that's angry and they're angry at everyone else because of their situation like i explained to those people um all the time you have the power to turn your situation around they are um offering these people housing oh i don't i don't want this i want this and they have their minds set on getting this let me explain something to mm -hmm. you it's not what you want it's what's given if you're not paying a dime out of pocket and you're getting a studio or a one-bedroom apartment paid for for a year to 24 months why does that matter oh i don't want i want a two-bedroom i mean just in case i want a company a cousin to come stay tonight you have all the wrong as to why you won't take the rental yeah then you have the group of sad and they're sad because they just they're sad they don't want to be in that situation but again you have the power to change your situation you can stop what you're going through and get to the next step then you have the ones that blame everything on everyone else they refuse to be a they refuse to hold themselves accountable. They refuse to take ownership. Everything with those people are, oh, well, you this or they this. You cannot blame anyone for your actions. That's like me running in front of a car, willingly just up, run in front of a car. I get hit by the car, then I start blaming everybody around me because the car hit me. Now, the all of those feelings build on right so what i mean is like you get two angry people together there's more anger right you get angry sad Press. Or a, a bunch of people together the general mood in the mission typically of sadness and depression and anger right. um and there are people who get helped and move out from there and we know that there are people one month six months and they're back right we know that too because they know it's a revolving yeah um the that's a difficult situation to be in. And all of this does have weight, right? The reality of the struggles you're in, regardless of how they came, the struggles you're in, the the environment you are in, um, the addiction, the crime, all of that can act as change. Right. You, you're absolutely correct. We all have the ability to 
just let go of this, right? Often it's not that they're even locked to us. It's the fact that we're holding on to them, right? right? And, we, and we refuse to let go of the chain, you know, um, whether it's because I'm I'm scared to, I, I don't want to do pain. I can't stand dope sick. I'm, I don't want to be abandoned. I don't want to be betrayed. You know, whether all that is, but that's where Jesus comes in, you know, where Jesus comes in and gives hope and love and assurance, right? And can help you very quickly put down the chains that you've been holding. And this is just the, the honest to goodness truth. They refuse to let themselves go free. And uh, they're very, very upset for whatever reason. Or they're upset or emotional or they're uh, depressed or they're just not happy with their situation. It's like a person in prison. They they come to they come to the conclusion that hey I'm here I did the crime I'm doing the time and they get their mindset that once they but once they because I've I've learned this with a lot of the people I picked this up okay so a lot of people that's been incarcerated it's like they get out of jail after doing so many years or whatever time they've done but they can't let go of the thoughts of the what they did in prison. Yeah, because when I was in jail, uh, yeah, and they have to always revert back to what happened when they were incarcerated. It's almost the same thing with people of homeless, like of the homeless. So they're constantly telling themselves, even, they can have an apartment and still live home. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, a home is not a is not a solution. Right. It's yeah. it's just okay. They have a home. It's That's a place it. to work out your stuff, you know, maybe a safe place, which is nice. But the, the home, you know, homes are not the solution. Homelessness should really be called worthlessness or lovelessness or, you know, something along those lines. Okay, let's step back. Homelessness isn't really about not having a home. Though that's a key indicator. Homelessness is really about hopelessness. It's about being pushed so far down that you can't easily get up. Homelessness isn't really about not having a job, or being addicted, or being mentally ill, or being a criminal. Homelessness is really about being without family support, without love, without value, without understanding, without hope. We believe and know this to be true, that with love and support, homelessness as a condition can self-resolve. That means the well-intentioned people suffering in homelessness can help themselves out of that position if they can just get a loving hand up and learn to drop the chains of social services. Remember, they are not the condition that they're living within at the moment, but they are children of God, valuable, cherished, forgiven, and loved. I could do a series of podcasts on just this topic alone. All right, let's jump back in and wrap up with Genera. I'm blessed to see you. I'm blessed to, to know that you're doing so well. You know that, that you're sharing your story. I, to be honest with you, before we go, I want to tell you this. Uh, what keeps me motivated and grounded with my walk in Christ, um, I was asked, do you trust God? You can't partway trust him. You can't have what I do, but you can't put that word but behind the word I do. Because that, that's, that tells me that you don't trust him. If a person can learn to trust God, live life with no worry. Because you have to understand, 
God doesn't instill fear. He doesn't instill worry. He doesn't instill um, hate. People have to understand as long as we can trust God, not partway trust him, not 75%, not a quarter, completely 100% trust God, everything will fall into place. You have to put it at his feet, pray on it, put it there. You know what? I'm done. Mm-hmm. Because he and, and I tell people, if you look at the Bible, name one thing in the Bible where it says God can't mm-hmm. do something. That's like saying God can't wake us up this mm-hmm. morning. God can't. No, he can do anything. So I believe, to be honest with you, if more people just learn to trust God and realize that he will not leave you. He's not. This like... You have to look at it like this. God is like, he's like AAA. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. you get a flat tire, you know, it might not, they might not come right there when you call, but they come, right? God is like AAA to us. He's our AAA. He doesn't come at our, listen, I need you to come right now. No, he doesn't come right then and there, but he makes his way around. He hears your cries. He knows your wants. He knows your need. He might not come when we want him to come, but he does come. And when he comes, sometimes people get that blessing and it's so much, they don't know how to accept it. They're like, wait a minute, something ain't right. I don't know what God, am I about to die? Because this is just too good to be real. So what I want people to know and, and do moving forward in life, trust him. Holy. Hope completely never put no stipulations on the trust that you have for God. You give him all of your trust. You pray on it one time. You take it to him, give it to him, and it will be granted. You just have to be patient and let him work in your faith. And trust, right? Completely trust. Amen. Give me that. Pastor right. E, yeah. I love you. Thank you for having me. I hope this story impacts somebody. Nice job. One thing we know about Jesus is that he has a heart for the lost. Let's look at Luke 15, at the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. But Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The first thing we can notice in this account is who Jesus is welcoming. I love the word welcoming here because it states that Jesus is being friendly, showing hospitality, treating these folks favorably, and that is a lesson to the church. Is he welcoming the leaders of the temple? No, not at this time. He's welcoming tax collectors and sinners. The religious leaders of Jesus' day divided humanity into two classes, the unclean and the righteous. They decided to live as much as possible in complete separation from the unclean. Not so for Jesus. 
Jesus here is modeling the behavior he wants from us, and he is sharing his parable, this simple story with a spiritual lesson for the religious leaders to hear. Here we can imagine a lost sheep and the worried shepherd looking to find it, leaving 99 of the 100 to find the one. Now it isn't strange that a sheep would be lost or that a shepherd would be seeking the sheep, but it does seem strange that a shepherd would leave 99 sheep for the sake of one. But the story here is to teach us about the value of the lost to God. Again, we can imagine the shepherd finding the lost, exhausted sheep, picking it up. He lays it across his shoulders to bring it safely back to the rest of the flock. On return, there is rejoicing, for the lost sheep is found. And Jesus says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons that do not need to repent. God loves bringing back the lost. God loves a heart returning to him. God loves to save and to heal. God loves protecting and caring for his flock. And no one is out of God's reach. And God has the same desires for us, his hands and feet. Thank God that Janira responded to God's call, like a lost sheep hearing the voice of her shepherd, once lost, now safely back in the flock. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at outreach at restoringhearts.org. We'd love to hear from you and hear what you thought about today's podcast. For more information regarding the ministry, you can find us online at restoringhearts.org or search for Restoring Hearts Ministries of Trenton on Facebook. Thank you again, and God bless you. Again, thank you for your time and for listening. This is True Compassion. God bless you. True Compassion is an RHM production.